chapter 17. Now, when we read this prayer, just a moment, you're going to think, you know, if this was the prayer that he prayed just before he was arrested, it really doesn't sound a whole lot like what the other Gospels talk about as he was praying, Dear Lord, please let this cup pass from me. Don't make me do this. Or please allow me to, to, to not have to do this. Is there a contradiction in the prayer that he prayed in John 17 and the, those other prayers? Well, well, of course not. I mean, it is understandable that as he considered taking upon himself our sins, that he would be both resolute and horrified at the same time. But that's another topic for another t- another day. Today we're going to begin to make application to this long study that we have pursued this spring about the mystery of the Trinity. We'll continue to see how the Trinity matters in our everyday lives in these next few weeks. Uh, clearly there's, there's no way that we could exhaust the truth in John 17 in one morning as we consider this prayer where Jesus taught doctrine as well as commune with His Father. Since our focus is on the Trinity, I want you to look for references to the Trinity, to the oneness of of the Son and the Father as we go through reading in just a moment. And, And how it makes a difference in our relationship with God and in our relationships with one another. Also, uh, notice as we begin to read that the first words Jesus said in John 17 or the first words written in John 17 are after he spoke this, Jesus began to pray. After he spoke what? After he spoke what words? Well, the words that he, that were recorded in John 14, 15 and 16, chapters in, in scripture that we have repeatedly uh, come to, to see what Jesus said about God and about the nature of God and how Father, Son, and Spirit work together and how they're one and how all three of them are involved in our salvation and our sanctification and our prayer life. Much doctrine about the Trinity in those three chapters. And then, after he had spoken these words, Jesus began to pray. Even though John 17 doesn't bring the Holy Spirit into the relationship. He was all through John 14, 15, and 16. And all of Scripture, all the New Testament points to the fact that the Holy Spirit was very intimately involved in this prayer. And very much a part of the Trinity facilitating this prayer. So, look for references to the Trinity as we stand together and read John chapter 17. Please stand. When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, 
and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they that they may have my joy fulfilled. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved me. And loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I pray also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Father, these words that we have just read indicate a close close communion between you and your Son. And we also understand the Holy Spirit. And Father, it also indicates a great love that you have for us and a desire for communion with us. And that is beyond almost our comprehension. Father, we pray that you will put within our hearts a desire to commune with you and also uh, a desire to commune with one another deeply. Thank you for the truth that we have just read. Now open our hearts and help us to understand and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. I want, I want, I want! I'm sorry, Justin. I'm sorry, Nicole. Candy will ruin your dinner. I want, I want, I want! No! You're mean. I want, I want, I want. Okay. But just one little piece. I want you to eat your dinner. And I'm large and in charge when I tell you, I want you to eat your dinner, so this one little piece. 
Now, we all re- recognize how ridiculous that is, and yet we see it or something like that all the time in our society. And, and even though we're appalled when we see it, the spirit of the age has begun to infect us and affect all of us. It also subtly influences the way that we think about God. For instance, when you think about Jesus praying for God to to remove the cup that was before Him, the cup of suffering, which He would take our sins upon Him and spare Him from the cross, how does that play out in your mind? I mean, do you ever think of, of the Father as mean or at least stern, severely so? As he says, no, Jesus, I'm sorry, but this is the only way. Don't ask. I'm certain that many of us think of the Father's heart as breaking, but it's difficult in our day to understand why anybody is forced by someone else to endure pain, to endure suffering. And so our thinking sort of gets a little bit skewed. If that's the case, it's a classic example of the world shaping our thoughts about God. Well, and for instance, let me just back up just a moment. That's why so many people say, I can't believe in a God when there's so much suffering in the world. If He's all-powerful and there's evil in the world, I've got a problem. People have difficulty with that concept. And even, concept, and even Christians tend to allow the world's thinking to come in on us and we think, wow, that's, that's, that's tough for the Father not to hear His Son in that prayer. Rather than that, we ought to allow the truth about who God is to determine and direct our hearts, our minds, and our actions. Let's, let's put this into a perspective a little bit. When your child is, is threatened in any way, how do you feel about that? Afraid? Angry, defensive. All of your senses are heightened and you want to do everything you can for your child. And we are imperfect parents. Imperfect. Well, most of you are anyway. Imperfect. Okay, well, all of us are. Our Heavenly Father, though, is perfect and He loves the Son with the perfect love. Always have. Always will. A perfect love. Can you imagine how difficult it was for the Father when Jesus was saying, please find another way for redemption. Please, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. His silence must have been excruciating. No wonder Scripture speaks so much about the Father's love in sending His Son for us. And it's why when we face pain and loss in this world, our best response is to look to the cross. I believe it was John Stott who said, I could not live in this world of of suffering and pain and believe in God apart from the truth of the cross. The point he's making is that God understands our pain because He endured pain at a much higher level than He ever calls us to endure. But, you say, there was a very brief period of pain that 
the father and the son were pacing, facing three days, in fact. This would be this awful death, and then Jesus would be in the grave for three days, and then he would be to life. Well, two responses to that. First of all, if on the cross the father poured out and the son endured the wrath of God that equals an eternity in hell for all who would believe, then there's a perspective and a dynamic at play that we can't understand and we ought to just be quiet about something like that. Two, for those who belong to Jesus, our struggles are temporary also. Heaven is our ultimate reality. Let's think about the love within the Trinity. Look at verses 22 to 24 of John 17. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know, so that the, they may become one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. From eternity past, the Father loved the Son and the Spirit. The Son loved the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit loved the Father and the Son with a perfect love. Some have said that it was necessary that God create man so that he could express his love. He had no way to express his love without man being created. But the love that existed in the Trinity was the foundation for his love for us. In the portion of Jesus' prayer that we just considered, we see order. The Father loved Jesus. Now Jesus wants his followers to know that same love. He's saying, the love that I've known, I I want them to know also. This love that you had for me before the foundation of the world. I want those that I love to experience that also. C.S. Lewis addressed this question in Mere Christianity. He said, quote, All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, He was not. But of course, we have just read that God loved the Son before the foundation of the world. And there is so much more truth in the New Testament to support this notion. And there is also support for the truth that there is complete unity within the Trinity. In verses 22 and 23... Jesus asked the Father to bring unity, perfect unity, within the ranks of his followers. And once again, that request is based on the unity that exists within the Trinity. Why bring this unity? So that the world may know us and know the love. Next Sunday, we're going to talk more about uh, the how the order of authority and submission within the Trinity speaks to our uh, roles in government and society and in business and in families. Our focus today is on the unity of purpose within the Trinity that exists along with the perfect love that the Trinity, that the three have for one another and for the one. For the three are one. The Trinity exists 
in a community. And part of what it means that we are made in the image of God is that we were created to exist in community. God made man in his own image. What is his image? A community. A community of of three, a community of one. This singleness of purpose. And yet, this love for the others. And when we are created in His image, we were designed to do the same thing. In the process of creation, God repeatedly said, It is good. It is good. It is good. And then Adam was created and he said, It's not good that he be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. Community, love, and unity. Can you imagine what it was like for Adam and Eve before the fall? They were different, and yet there was this perfect love that they had for one another, and perfect unity, perfect harmony, which is, again, the model for our homes, and which exists, I'm sure, in so many of your homes. Even though they were different, They had this unity of purpose and they looked to their Creator for guidance to know what to do and how to live. And then sin (laughs) ruined everything. And while there were excruciating consequences for their sin, God immediately set to work on their redemption. And on on redemption for any who would come after them and who would believe. He made a covering for Adam and Eve's nakedness from the skin of animals and thus painted the first strokes on the canvas that that displayed the picture of redemption that would point to the cross where Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, would take upon Himself our sins and would become the perfect substitute and sacrifice for us. And in so doing, bring partial redemption to this world. There is a sense of redemption or a a modicum of redemption to this world because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. But full redemption awaits those who repent of their sins and believe that Jesus died as a perfect sacrifice in his or her place. In the midst of this fallen world, where there are horrific consequences for our sin. The church is a called out community of believers. We are called to be salt and light in a decaying and dark world. Which is a part of God's plan to draw men and women to Himself. Jesus told His disciples in in the same way that he prayed a while ago. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. And what's the value of such knowledge for those who don't believe? They begin to recognize something tangible about God, about His character. When they see us working together in unity... And in love, they begin to see a little bit of a picture of the Trinity. All a part of being made in His image and acting out 
in according to the way that he would act. The more the community of Christ followers reflects the true community of the Trinity, the greater our impact on the world. The more we reflect the true community of the Trinity, the more the world takes notice. And the more they're attracted, not to us, but to God. Well, they are attracted to us, but ultimately they are being attracted to God. Many of us feel that our primary responsibility for love and sacrifice is to those who are without the body, who are outside the body. But Scripture actually teaches the exact opposite. That our primary responsibility is to those in the body, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And though it may seem strange to you, it's one of the ways that we evangelize. We think about evangelism as always going out. But when we love each other, when we're unified, people take notice and inquire. True community among followers of Christ has a palpable effect on those who are without. Unfortunately, Satan is aware of how important our unity and our love for one another is. And, and, and consequently, he, he plans, makes his design to attack us and to come against God's plan accordingly. And he seems to be pretty effective at churches all through the ages in causing us to express our true love for ourselves and to stand with self-righteous fervor against our brothers and sisters who see or, or say things a little differently than we do. So our love actually becomes focused and, and then we begin to look at others and say, well, now that's not right what you're doing. And we do it with religious fervor. And if you're wholeheartedly in agreeing with me, please quit thinking about how you hope old so-and-so is listening. You know, and think about yourself. The thing about love is that it always begins with me. My responsibility, the responsibility always begins with me. It's not based on someone else's actions or reactions to me. Linda used to say that when a relationship between two people is at a breaking point, somebody has to give 100% or it ain't happening. Now, please understand, giving in, does giving in love, I mean, does not mean giving in. It doesn't mean that you accept anything and everything by someone that you love, but it does indeed speak to the way that the God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit love us. No, it's such a shame to hear, as I have heard so many times. You know, I get along better with non-believers, with unbelievers at, at work than I do with Christians. I mean, that statement indicates a host of inconsistencies that seem all too common in our day. Why do we allow ourselves to be caught in Satan's snare in the way that we treat one another? I think it's the uh, age-old problem <laughs> that when you put religious fervor behind a personal conviction that you have against a personal action or style 
that someone else exhibits, there is great danger. Think of all the horror that has been caused through the ages when groups get this religious fervor and they go after. Think of the Crusades. Think of modern-day religious terrorism. But the same thing exists in smaller communities also. When I don't like the way that you do something, and I put religious fervor behind my opposition to what you're doing, and especially, especially if I can quote a Bible verse, then you're going to hear it. And I'm going to speak the truth in love. Something that has deeply impacted me these past few years we've studied 2 Timothy and Philippians, is the biblical principle that there are some truths that are non-negotiable, such as the truth of the gospel. And if somebody is preaching heresy in your church, get them out and have nothing to do with them. But beyond that, even to the fact that somebody is preaching the gospel in such a way that they hope it hurts you, it's just not that big a deal. Just think of the diverse roles of the three persons in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit have very different responsibilities, very different activities, and yet there is perfect unity. And I recognize that there's also perfection in the Trinity. Some of you are not perfect, and that just makes my job so much more difficult. I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding. I'm the first to admit imperfections. And even with our imperfections, though, we're called to represent the nature of God on earth. That's an unbelievable calling. In fact, it's an impossible calling. How do we in any way approach or approximate that that picture of the Trinity within our community? How do we get anywhere close to it? Well, obviously, the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't have it in me. When we yield to the Lord, when we yield to the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit conforms us into the image of Jesus. It makes us, He makes us more like Jesus, which is the Father's plan. You know, we could stay here until 12 midnight and barely scratch the surface of the truth that we've encountered this morning. And if you're interested, we could just, you know, keep going. You want to keep going? I mean, I wish you could, could, could know only half of the Scripture that I considered bringing into this message this morning. Uh, we're going to get a, a, a lot more into application in the home fellowships. In fact, let me just say to the home fellowship leaders, there's just no way you can get through all of the Scripture that's that's there this week. So let some of it be homework. But we're going to go a lot more into application about the love within the Trinity and the love that the Father, Son, and Spirit have for us and the love that we are called to have for one another. I just said one another's, didn't I? Well, I want to end this morning uh, with a word of hope and a word of challenge concerning our call to live in this community of believers as love and unity identify us with the Savior. The Apostle Peter, writing the first century believer, said, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. It says deeply, I think, NIV. 
Since love covers a multitude of sins. He didn't say love one another and build to this perfection. He said love one another because you know what? Sin's going to be there in the, within the community. And love covers a multitude of sins. All of us have the sin nature, whether believer or non-believer. If we're Christians, either the old man dominated by the sin nature or the new man led by God's Spirit will be in charge of our lives. My problem is often that it's difficult to discern who is in charge. God or me. Because the old man is very good at imitation. Talked about this last last fall when we were talking about spiritual formation. The old man sort of steps back and says, Okay, spirit's in charge right now. Let me see what he's doing. Okay, okay, okay. Got it. And then the old man gets in charge. And all of the problems with the old man come out as I'm doing this stuff that's supposed to be spirit-led. And when I'm in charge, but I think God is in charge of my life, I can really, really make a mess of things. Especially when I want to set someone else straight. The answer? Love. Love others in the community because love covers a multitude of sins and there is no way to anticipate the creative ways that we're going to sin against each other. We're just going to. And justify our sin. And we do it all in the name of Jesus. So, let's love one another and work towards the unity that begins to give those who don't know the Lord a picture of who God is. Father, Son, Spirit. Perfect love with the community. Unity of purpose bolstered, founded by perfect love in the great three-in-one. Let's pray. Father, um, we recognize the incredible privilege we have to know you. We recognize when we allow the Spirit to bring us next to you and glimpse the difference between who you are and who we are. And we have so far to go. We're also grateful that it's not up to us to get there. Well, we certainly we have to respond to you in obedience to what you tell us, but we do so in the power of the Spirit. And we do so with the promise that you will change us from the inside out. And Father, I pray that you will cause us to have a deep, deep love for one another. And that we would have unity of heart, unity of purpose. It doesn't mean we all agree with, uh, agree on the same thing. We don't always agree on everything and we don't look at things the same way. That's one of the great, great benefits of 
having this diversity within our community. You didn't make us all alike. You made us all the way that you did for a reason. And Father, it's not a mistake that any of us are in this body. You have called us all to be here. So may we seek your purpose. May we seek your, your, your love and your power and your leadership in our lives. And may our understanding of you grow as we see the image of God being manifested in our very own circle and in our own community. We love you. We submit ourselves to you. We ask that you do for us the things that we absolutely cannot do for ourselves. We're dependent upon you, Lord. And we yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen.